planning on traveling this summer? Make saving at the pump part of your plans with two times the fuel points from Harris Teeter. It's easy. Download your eVic coupon, and for every dollar you spend with your Vic card, you'll get two fuel points. That's up to $1 per gallon on quality fuel at participating BP and Harris Teeter fuel centers. Download your eVic coupon today and save money at the pump all summer long with eVic and Harris Teeter fuel points. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fantasy Football Addicts Podcast. It's great to be back talking football. It feels like it's been forever, uh, but welcome. Uh, this is the Fantasy Football Addicts Podcast, and my name is Mung. My name's Los. Here we go, entering the 2020 season. Boy, it feels like it's been years and years since football's been seen. Yeah, it was uh, it was a rough go for a while for everybody. Um, hopefully, things are slowly starting to get better. And you know, my girlfriend asked me what I would do if there were no 2020 NFL season, and I, and I really didn't know how to answer that question. Well, I think you'd just become a baseball fan. No, I think I would just be terrible to be around because I would have no joy in my life. Oh. wow gee um i mean yeah i like football it's pretty darn fun but uh but i think i think you know i think you'd find something else to to find a little joy in yeah i think so i would but i think you know i just wouldn't it wouldn't be the same i wouldn't be able to no it certainly would not be the same and and we do like to have things similar every year football season goes from september well technically football season is year-round Baseball goes, you know, for five months. Basketball goes for six. And that is, uh, well, actually, baseball goes for like nine, realistically. But I'm a Sox fan, so baseball really goes for a good, like, three weeks until we lose hope. (laughs) It is interesting, though, with all these major sports now going on at the same time. I'm sure, you know, TV ratings are different now with COVID. But in some ways, they're probably doing crazy well right now. Yeah, I mean, that's we could probably do a whole series of podcasts on that. What with like the Cubs having their own network the way the Yankees did before. I mean, it's it's I'm curious what the numbers are. I'm sure they're at an all time high, but baseball has been declining in viewership over the years. I don't know. This ain't a baseball podcast, though. Yeah, but I think even for football, uh, you know, some things that are going to be different, uh, out of necessity this year may end up carrying over to the future seasons. So we'll see. Oh, certainly. Yeah. This world has changed and, and it's going to leave a ripple for, for generations upon generations to come. Yeah. It's definitely going to be a very interesting NFL season with no crowd noise due to COVID concerns, uh, potentially late inactives for players who do test positive. And it seems like the NFL is trucking away for the most part, though. I'm cautiously optimistic that this season is going to go ahead as planned. Um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about players at each position that we feel are overvalued and undervalued. Um, but before we get into all that, I just want to briefly mention some injury news for those of you who are drafting soon or already in the middle of some best ball drafts. Um, first off, we've got AJ Green, uh, who had a hamstring pull today. It seems pretty minor, but uh, last year's ankle injury around this time actually was deemed minor too, and he ended up missing the entire season. Uh, these kind of soft tissue injuries do bear monitoring as they can linger or recur and green has played just nine games over the last two years so something to keep in mind if you're looking at drafting him in the middle rounds 
Yeah, I think at his age and with his recent history, there's no such thing as a minor hamstring pull. This is something that needs to be taken very seriously, and and I would hold off on drafting him for right now until you have until we have more clarity. This is why you draft as late as humanly possible, or as close to the start of the season as humanly possible. Yeah, imagine if you had drafted uh, before the Damian Williams opt out uh, news. Sure, sure. Or uh, what? I think it was. Uh, th- no, it's more than four, three seasons ago now when Jordy Nelson tore his ACL in like week three of the preseason. Yeah, I was literally in the middle of a, an auction draft and someone had just paid like $50 for Jordy Nelson. So Killer. Yeah. Killer. But I mean, that's already cutting it pretty close. There's nothing you can really do about that. No, no, of course not. Um, but we've also got Sammy Watkins, who suffered a groin strain um, at camp. Watkins hasn't played a full season actually since his rookie year back in 2014. And last season we saw Odell Beckham hampered by a groin strain all year. Uh, if Watkins isn't 100% by week one, this could really open the door further for McCole Hardman to step into a more prominent role early on in the season. Tons of upside in that kid. Yep, and then we've got Jalen Hurd, uh, feared to be an ACL tear. Uh, it seems like 99% of these feared ACL tears do end up being confirmed, unfortunately. Um, Kendrick Bourne has been showing pretty well in camp, according to the beat writers in San Francisco, so Bourne could be worth a look in deeper leagues behind Ayuk if Debo Samuel isn't ready to go week one. What is it about San Francisco skill players and just running through them like... I don't know. Like they all get hurt. All the all the running backs, all the wide receivers. It's just like next man up. Oh wait, no, he's already gone. Yeah, maybe something in the water in California because the LA Chargers too. Yeah, true. Um, and then finally, we've got Josh Oliver here with a broken foot. Uh, I actually wrote about Tyler Eifert as a deeper tight end sleeper in one of my articles on Fantracks just last week. So Eifert could be a surprise tight end one with Jay Gruden now in Jacksonville. Um, if you want more details, uh, the article goes more in depth on that. But uh, Eifert's maybe a name coming from the dead. Love it. Love it. Deep dive. All right, so let's get into our guys who we are fading at ADP and then some players who we think are great values at ADP. Uh, The ADP data we're going to be using is from Fantasy Pros, which aggregates uh, ADP data from all the major sites like ESPN, Fantrax, Yahoo, and more. We'll go position by position and talk about a few guys each, and uh, we'll kick it off with the quarterbacks here. Um, I think we'll be in agreement here, Los, from our prior preseason episodes and prior years uh lamar jackson right late quarterback is the game yeah pretty much and and i think most of the industry and most of the fantasy population in general has caught on at this point uh lamar jackson being drafted as the qb1 19th overall and patrick mahomes uh, the qb2 at 22nd overall we know these two guys are the top quarterbacks there's no arguing that but Taking them in the late second or early third round is passing up so much value considering how deep quarterback has been the last few seasons. You know, we know their efficiency can't be understated, but just the opportunity cost of drafting another workhorse running back or even a guy like Kittle or Kelsey, I would take over a a top quarterback in, in the late second or early third. 
Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt, 100% agreement there. Um, I love Lamar Jackson. I love Patrick Mahomes. They're great quarterbacks. But just that opportunity cost that you're missing by not grabbing, in my opinion, where where you should be grabbing another running back in, in the most shallow and most important position in fantasy, that's, that's not something you can do there. Yep. Uh, how about you? Who's a, a quarterback that you're going to be avoiding? Um, actually, so I, I dug a little deeper because I, I knew we'd be talking about Lamar and Pat Mahomes, but I, I wanted to go a little further than just our late round strategy. Um, Daniel Jones is actually up at quarterback 15, which is not a quarterback one, but you know, if you're in two quarterback leagues or super flex leagues, um, he's near the top of the ADP there. Um, in terms of your second quarterback, uh, he had a Pretty great season last year from a rookie standpoint, from a number standpoint, but he had turnover problems abounding. Uh, Fumbles more so than the interceptions, but I'm sure plenty of interceptions will come. The main reason I'm fading here is he's got a brutal opening season schedule. He opens against Pittsburgh, Chicago, and then San Francisco. How can you draft a guy that opens against those three defenses to start your season? I mean, you'd have to bench him. You, you just can't roll that sort of thing out there. So for that reason, I can't touch Daniel Jones in fantasy this year. Maybe put, pick him up later in the season as a streamer if you're going with that, with that option, but certainly not in the first, uh, first quarter of the season. Yeah, I mean, really the consideration would be, as you said, a super flex or two quarterback league where you, know, you need that second guy who's going to have the upside. Um, but I agree, that's that's a terrible schedule, and, and you didn't even go that far. But even week four against the Rams, uh, you know, their defense struggled at times last year, but they're still not exactly pushovers. Yep. Um, and then just one other quarterback that I'll be fading at ADP as well, uh, Kyler Murray as the QB3 56th overall. Uh, Los, you know I love Murray, both for 2020 <laughs> and yep. in Dynasty Leagues. I really do think that the sky is the limit in Kingsbury's dynamic offense. And Arizona, of course, just added that true alpha wide receiver one for Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Plus, he offers a ton of rushing upside, much like Lamar Jackson had last year in his MVP season. And it's just, you know, the problem is that, look, Jackson was an MVP in the fantasy MVP because people were taking him in the ninth or tenth round. And Murray's current fourth round ADP basically means that he has to reach his full potential to be worth drafting at that cost and i I love him but i'm not reaching for him that early agreed still not worth it there and uh, when we get to uh the undervalued or the value quarterbacks i think there's an option that's very similar that's going darn near undrafted yeah go ahead uh who who are some guys that uh, you think are undervalued at quarterback right now um, so, uh, the first guy I'd like to talk about is Ryan Tannehill. Um, he's coming off at now I have to be transparent. I went off of ESPN ADP values, so I'm going to just compare them to make sure that they do match the aggregate. Okay. So right now, um, Tannehill is going at quarterback 16 overall at the pick 140. Um, the volume and the efficiency will drop. But he was very good to end the season last year. Um, he's he's got that uh, that nice baseline. He's going to keep rushing the football. Um, that's going to keep him keep him in the top twelve quarterbacks at worst, I think, until he gets dinged up or in case he just stops scoring altogether. But that Tennessee offense is rolling. I I see no reason for him to be so far down in ADP. Yeah, Tannehill definitely has that rushing upside. A lot of people forgot that he played wide receiver in college, so he's got wheels. That's right. 
And he had some pretty good games in Miami, but uh, just couldn't overcome Adam Gase. Um, and speaking few of... Few can. Very few can. Yeah, I mean, that's we, we won't get into Darnold, but that's another reason I'm off of Darnold this year, too. <laughs> um, but just adding on, uh, you said, you know, some of that efficiency may regress, but that could be made up by an increase in volume. Um, Kenny Vaccaro, uh, one of the Titans' starting safeties, he left practice a couple days ago with an undisclosed injury. But really, you know, even if he's fine, any regression to the Titans defense from last year is going to result in more passing volume for Tannehill. Yep. So a, a guy that I really love, um, you know, those of you who have uh, listened to this podcast for a few years now, you guys know I'm a huge Tom Brady fan. Um, his current ADP is the number seven quarterback coming off the board at 82nd overall. And honestly, I think he, if you're going to reach for any of these sort of early round quarterbacks, um, you know, he's coming from throwing to Julian Edelman and Philip Dorsett last year in New England to Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and getting Rob Gronkowski back this year. The argument, uh, right? I mean, just, I I could stop talking right here, right? I mean... Not from my standpoint. I personally <laughs> think that Brady's overvalued. QB7 is co- completely nuts to me for a 43-year-old quarterback in a new system with a coach he's never played with. Brady only knows Belichick. Brady only knows the way that Belichick affects his players, and Brady only knows players that's, that ascribe to the Patriots system. So I think I think he's in for some bumps in the road, honestly. I don't think this is all going to be you know sunshine and cherries. And I don't think I will get to it in the t- in the tight ends. Uh, I think we're going to have a little disagreement in the tight end section on a certain player oh, that, uh, that, that you've already mentioned. But um, I think that's going to be problematic altogether. We'll see. But all right, let's focus on Brady for right now. Um, sure. There have been two big arguments that I'm seeing against him. One is that he can't throw deep anymore, which I think is patently false. Looking at some of the stats from ESPN Stats and Info, Brady actually ranked seventh best in deep passing last year, despite, you know, having guys like Edelman and Dorsett. And I'm also fully on board with the narrative that he's out to prove that he doesn't have the six rings just because of Belichick. Um, Honestly, just given the weapons, and I understand he's coming to a new system with Bruce Arians. It's his first new team in literally decades. But I think he's got, you know, for the first time in a while, a a big chip on his shoulder again, proving that it's not just Belichick, that he can succeed outside of that Patriot way. And I could see him, you know, that fire fueling him to an MVP candidate. I think if you're going to reach for a quarterback, I'd much rather take a shot on Brady in round six or seven than reach for early guys like Mahomes, Jackson, or Murray. I just don't think with, with his complete lack of rushing, though, and the opportunity cost there, it's just too much to pay. Give me round nine, Brady, maybe round 10, sure. But round seven, there's there's still some starting running backs on the board in round seven. You know what? That's okay. I'll take those negative two rushing yards when he's kneeling to end the game after he threw like five touchdowns. <laughs> All right. Who's, uh, who's another guy that you've got that uh, you think well, is a big this, value? Well, this, I think, is the gem of the late-round quarterback uh, streaming strategy. Uh, don't call me crazy. He's going off at quarterback 26, 
Gardner Minshew out of Jacksonville. Now, yes, I don't think he's as good as Tom Brady. I don't think he's good as any starting quarterback. And as a matter of fact, I don't think this time next year we're going to be talking about him as a starting quarterback. But for right now, there's no competition in Jacksonville for Minshew with Foles gone. So he will have the reins and he will have every opportunity he can to throw the ball all over the field. And here's his opening schedule to start the season. Indianapolis, Tennessee, Miami. Cincinnati, Texas, and Detroit. Those are his first six weeks. All but Cincinnati were in the bottom 10 in pass yardage, completion percentage, and yards per attempt. And then while Cincinnati was not uh, in that category, they were the very worst in yard. Oh, no, they were worst in yards per attempt. It was Miami that allowed the very most pass touchdowns in the league. I don't think you could find a better schedule for a passer than this right here. Also, Gardner Minshew has a rushing floor. He rushed arguably just as well as Kyler Murray this past year. Additionally, the defense is not just bad, it's terrible. They have players being traded, quitting, retiring left and right. So this team is going to have to throw early often, and they're going to have defenses that they can throw against. Um, I don't expect this to last the whole season, but I think he should provide 15-plus points at least uh, with upside, with, with much more upside than that for each of the first six weeks of the season. If he doesn't pan out, you drop him because you paid nothing for him, and you find your next streamer. Yeah, that was uh, that was a lot, and I, I agree with all of it. Um, he showed really well as a rookie last year. I, I think prior to him getting benched when Foles was ready to come back and was healthy, I, I think he was like a top ten fantasy quarterback for his first few starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was coming off, you know, cold coming off the bench um, after Foles broke his collarbone in Week One. That's um, yeah. I mean, I think Minshew's a really great late round quarterback candidate here. Yep, nobody expected it from him. Yeah, a, a guy that I like who's going a little bit before Minshew, though, um, I would probably pull the trigger on Jimmy Garoppolo right before uh, you take Minshew if we were in a draft together. There um, we go. He's Yeah, he's going as quarterback 20 right now, 153 overall. And Garoppolo was the QB 13 last year in fantasy in a season where the Niners' defense dominated games and allowed for a run-heavy offense for most of the year. But we know that defensive production and especially turnovers, which San Francisco was sixth in the league last year, are difficult to predict year over year. And we also saw that Garoppolo had some big games when opponents were able to score on the Niners, uh, most notably in New Orleans uh, in Week 13. Positionally, I, I still have Garoppolo excuse me, ranked pretty low at QB 18, but overall I've got him ranked about two rounds earlier than where he's going right now. But even saying that he's low at 18, I mean, the the gist is that from 10 to 25, you're going to find great weeks out of each of these quarterbacks. I think the statistic is that um, every season there's 38 or 42 or something quarterbacks that put up top 12 weeks. And of course, as we know, there's only 32 NFL teams. Yeah, and I think what you're saying, if you're willing to wait on quarterback, is, you know, I believe in my adjustments and how I have running backs and wide receivers ranked in those middle rounds, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take a shot on an upside guy, maybe like a J.K. Dobbins or something like that, and then uh, I'll roll with whoever at quarterback that I believe in. Yep. Uh, the the other guy I had down here, this is a little d- uh, d- uh, deeper dive here. Now, I'm not saying to draft him, and I, I don't think you should, but Kirk Cousins, um, I think people are looking at it 
as a complete and utter afterthought now, but the defense in Minnesota is bad now. Stefanski's in, in Cleveland, and while Dalvin Cook will be the focal point of the offense and Diggs is gone, Kirk Cousins is going to need to throw the football more uh, this year than he did last year. And Kirk is very efficient when he throws the football. Um, he's been low volume. I do not expect him to be uh, low volume this season. Just keep him in mind for later in the season if you need streaming quarterbacks. Not saying to draft him. Yeah, and Cousins had a run of a few years where he had uh, quite a few rushing touchdowns as well, I believe. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and again, I mean, these are guys who you're probably going to wait on, you know, in deeper one QB leagues or maybe a super flex or two quarterback. Um, but as you said, uh, you know, these I just don't see a lot of upside with Cousins, but I do think he's a fairly safe start. Just don't forget about him. Don't forget he exists. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, the last guy I want to bring up here is Jared Goff, who's going off the board at QB 17 on average, uh, 142nd overall. And the Rams were a mess last year, and, you know, Goff still finished at QB 15 in fantasy. Yeah. The biggest difference between his 2019 Goff and uh, his prior two seasons was touchdown rate. Goff scored on just 3.5% of his pass attempts last season compared to 5.8% of his pass attempts in 2017 and 2018. And even though LA's offensive line is still pretty iffy, uh, which is really what hindered their offense last year, Goff's touchdown rate returning to normal alone would make him a high-end QB2 with plenty of QB1 upside, uh, and that would basically make his QB17 ADP a steal. He's got weapons all around him, you know, not necessarily top flight weapons, but Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, very good. Yeah, and we'll see how those uh, the new running backs uh, go without Gurley. Exactly. We'll talk about that later, too, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of uh, Gurley and running backs, let's move on to the running back position. Um, sure. One of my big fades, uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on him, uh, is Le'Veon Bell. He's being drafted as the RB18, 34th overall. So you're basically taking him with your late third round pick here. And look, Bell was an okay RB2 last year, but I see him being drafted at this ADP basically around his ceiling. The Jets offense ranked second to last in offensive efficiency last year. Um, we talked about Adam Gase a little bit when we talked about Ryan Tannehill just now. And uh, guess who's in New York still? Uh, Adam Gase. So I'm not sure <laughs> that their offensive efficiency is going to improve a ton in 2020. Um, and look, their top receiving weapons uh, right now are Jameson Crowder and Brashad Perriman. Denzel Mims has been sidelined with a injury in training camp. So we'll see yep. when he gets up to speed and Volume is really the only positive thing going for Bell right now, and Gase has already gone on record multiple times saying that he didn't want Bell. Um, so they just signed uh, Frank Gore, even though he's 87 years old. Um, you know, they're going to mix him in a little bit. They drafted LaMichael Pirine. Uh, these guys are just going to vulture some of that volume, and that's really the only thing Bell had left. So I, I really don't see much upside for him if you're taking him that early in the third round. While I don't think you're wrong that he's capped, I think that this is actually, I don't want to call it fair value, but I think it is the right spot for him looking at him as a, a middling running back too, because that's the state of running back right now. It is your most important position, and you would only be looking at Le'Veon Bell if you went, say, 
two wide receiver in your first two rounds or wide receiver tight end or something like that. I think, I don't think if you start, if you open your draft with Zeke or CMC or something like that, that you're even thinking about Le'Veon Bell. I, I think it's a desperation pick because it gets very thin when you start looking at running back that third tier of your running backs every single one of them has warts and Le'Veon Bell has has his fair share of them that's for sure I mean I hear you on that I think when you get to that third fourth round there's a lot of risk in these running backs but that's exactly why I would think you would want somebody with more upside right so let me like for example let me read off just a few running backs going sure. after Bell right now and would you rather take him or Bell in the third round all right sure. the fourth Mm-hmm. Um, Melvin Gordon. I'm not a Gordon guy, so I would actually say Bell as as yeah. I know it's gross. It's <laughs> gross though. This is so gross. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> what about David Johnson? Oh my gosh! See this. Okay, what this is is going to be a disgusting exercise in why I think you need to go running back, running back this year. I mean, almost, almost across the board. Um, they're so bad. I would, I would probably go David Johnson just because I preferred David Johnson, but Duke Johnson could make him completely, completely irrelevant. I know Bill O'Brien traded DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson, but that does not instill any confidence in him for me. Okay. What about, uh, what about James Conner? James Conner, I actually would move above all of them. I, I think he's going a little low, and I think that will adjust when we get a little closer to the season. Okay, what about Jonathan Taylor? Do you think he'll take over by the end of the year? <sighs> I love Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> Your voice I just changed. <laughs> I love the offensive line. He's, he's going into a spot where I think he's fairly valued because I don't think that he's going to be the starter in the first four weeks and okay if you're taking Jonathan Taylor then I want you to have taken two solid running backs already in which case you wouldn't be looking at Le'Veon Bell regardless I know I didn't answer your question but I answered mine that's fair I I get what you're saying um (laughs) or like I mean I I know you're a big Uh David Montgomery fan would you take him over Le'Veon Bell I don't want to say it because I want to still get him in the sixth round. <laughs> okay. Is that? <laughs> but I guess my point so, is like. So yes, yes, I'd prefer David Montgomery, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> but I, I guess my point is all these guys are risky, right? You don't feel. Oh my you gosh! Don't feel it's good so gross. With any of them as your RB two, but if I'm gonna take one of these guys in round three, round four, I want a guy with more upside. Right. That's yeah. what we're shooting for. It, it's it's true. I mean, my, my strategy for the season, you know, draft spot willing is to take two running. I mean, take a solid running back, then take a running back with fewer spots than the rest and then leave all these tier three question marks. When I when, when I'm talking tiers, I, I think, well, actually, they're tier four. My first tier is Christian and Saquon. Right. And then tier two, I would say, are Zeke Kamara cook you could argue henry getting into there right tier three you've got question marks clyde edwards alaire nick chubb aaron jones miles sanders Kenyon drake you could argue eckler and jacobs and well 
Mixon I would put in there. You could argue Eckler and Jacobs in there. But then everything after that has significant questions. Todd Gurley, what the heck's going on in Atlanta? What the heck's going on with his injuries? Chris Carson, what is going on with his health? What are they going to be doing in Seattle between him and the other running backs? Leonard Fournette, is he even going to be on a team? Is he going to rush the ball, touch the ball 40 times a game? Or are they going to try and get the scat back in in the, in the second-year player? Le'Veon Bell we're talking about. David Johnson, gross. Melvin Gordon. I don't like James Conner should be should be the top of that fourth tier, really, because if it wasn't for this shoulder, this nagging shoulder thing, I I think we'd be looking at him as as a top end second rounder again, to be honest. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. I think optimally you're starting drafts in the top four this year. Yes, Um, for sure. For me, the the top tier or two tiers, if you want to call it, is, as you said, McCaffrey, Barkley and then. Um, Camara and Elliot. Um, I, I've cooked slightly behind them in another tier, um, sure. just because of the the uncertainty there. But yeah, I mean, what I've been doing, and we won't get too much into best ball strategy, but I've been doing a lot of best ball drafts. And if I do get one of those top four spots, I'll go with a workhorse back, and then I'll grab Kittle or Kelsey on the way back uh, in yeah. the late second. Yep, I like that too because that mm-hmm. does usually give you an opportunity to grab like a um you know like a joe mixon at the top of the third or something yeah okay um i think we've gone significantly off topic here (laughs) yeah (laughs) but that's fine i think it's all good discussion um because you know as much as we like talking about these individual players i think the overarching strategies are also important to talk about yeah um so who's someone I else actually that you hate? snuck a peek at uh, at your names before diving into this. So so mine are a little bit on the deeper side. Um, yeah, Cam, no, a- totally Cam Akers. Sorry, go ahead. No, I said that's totally fine. Okay, so Cam Akers right now is going off at um, running back twenty nine overall. I I would probably move him down because of that awful offensive line in in LA. Um, there's plenty of young backs crowding that backfield, most notably Daryl Henderson, but of course Malcolm Brown is always there. Uh, Akers is by by far the best back on the team, I think, but I just don't see the production there early enough in the se- season to justify using um, one of those quality uh, quality draft spots. What uh, He's going 69th, so that would be that would be firmly in the sixth round. You, you've got to still be accruing starters there, unless you're going to be like getting Jonathan Taylor falling to you there or something. Right, and I don't hate Acres at ADP, but I also don't have many shares of him, so I think that says something as well. There you go. Um, yep. Because if you're taking him, you know, in round six, you're basically saying. Because uh, usually that's you know that's when you've gone heavy on wide receiver. Maybe you went running back in the first round, and you're saying I'm taking a flyer on this guy as my RB two, right? Mm-hmm. And you're giving him that vote of confidence that you're saying you know this is going to be the guy for LA this year. And I yep. just don't know if I'm ready to call it like that. Um, I, I do think that he's probably the best back on that team, but I, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be more of a committee. Than when they just had Gurley and could run him in on the ground, right? Um, and honestly, if I had to pick, given their ADPs, I'd rather take a, a shot on Henderson late. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, we this has sort of been the gambit with you know if if you've been playing Dynasty for a while, it's sort of like before Gurley became the lead back there and obviously he's gone now it was every year la was going to the well and drafting a relatively early running back and every single one of them did nothing and 
and and just flamed out of the league. Actually, um, hopefully that's not going to be the case for Daryl Henderson. But I guess if he doesn't, all he's going to do is hamper Cam Akers' value, right? Yeah, remember uh, Trey Mason? <laughs> yeah, I do. I absolutely do. That was a name that came to mind. And then uh, before him was, um, oh my gosh, come on. Oh, not going to come to me. That's fine. I'm getting old. It's all right. Yeah, no, but uh, I, I get what you're saying. Um, like I said, I don't hate Acres there, but I also, I, I don't love him there either. So, yeah. Um, here's another rookie uh, for the list, I guess. Uh, for <laughs> me, DeAndre Swift is someone I'm avoiding at ADP. He's going off the board at RB25, 60th overall, so a few spots before Acres. And uh, this is a similar situation, right? Because I think Swift is easily the best and most talented running back in that Detroit backfield. Sure. Um, but again, uh, you know, I just, I, I can't say with any sort of confidence that this is going to be Swift's backfield because Matt Patricia has shown over the last two years as head coach in Detroit, uh, he prefers a committee approach akin to how it was in New England during his tenure there. Really, since 2018, no Lions running back has gotten more than 42% of the carries in the backfield. And even the receiving work has been split among multiple running backs. So, again, if you're relying on this guy as your RB2, uh, no thank you on Swift at running back 25 here. Yeah, do not be surprised when Bo Scarborough has the first carry of the season. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if on Johnson stays healthy for once in his life because he's actually getting, you know, less than 50% of the touches, and that just means that nobody's going to win in this backfield. Exactly, exactly. All right, uh, keeping in that Patricia vein, we're going to go back to uh, his home, his original home, the Patriots. Uh, James White, I'm just not seeing anything for him uh, this year. Right now going off at um, running back 31 81st overall, so that's even a little higher than I had him. Um, they just signed Lamar, uh, Lamar Miller, although he is injured right now, as as is Sony Michelle. So, depending on their injuries, that may change. That may change this outlook for uh, James White a little bit. Um, but um, Cam Newton never used a pass catching back until Christian McCaffrey. That was the big concern about him being with Christian McCaffrey. Was he going to use him correctly? But Christian McCaffrey is an otherworldly talent. He's a, he's a running back. Unlike any in the league, he's certainly unlike any running back in new England. So James White is not going to force the issue of hyper usage for himself in catching the ball a billion times from Cam Newton. He's not even going to be on the field every down. This is going to be a mishmash of, of, Rex Burkhead of Damian, um, nope, not Damian Williams. Come on. Damian oh Harris. Gosh. Damian Harris. Yes. There's two darn many names now. Um, and when Sony Michelle does get back in, into the lineup, he's of course going to take that early down work probably. Um, and then Lamar Miller's in, in the mix too. So I, I just don't see a path towards that running back one running back two sneaky PPR value that people like to think is attached to James White every year. I, I think you can just leave him in free agency for now. So I'll say this about James White. I, I think he's a fine, you know, RB3 going at RB31. Um, but it, it's going to be really situationally dependent whether or not you want to take him, right? Because if you started with, you know, Zeke and you grabbed Aaron Jones late round two on the way back, um, there's zero reason for you to roster James White. 
There, uh, right. He has very little upside. You know, he's a consistent producer, but he generally is not going to win you weeks on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, you know, as you said, the uncertainty with Cam Newton and how that offense is going to look. Um, the the only avenue which I could really see someone being happy with James White is if, let's say, you started off with, um, let's say you start Zeke again, but then you went with Kittle or Kelsey. Um, and then you reached for Kyler Murray in like round five. So you're set at tight end and QB, but now you're running back two maybe is, uh, you know, another committee guy. Um, let's say you took Cam Akers and you don't feel super great about that. Um, so James White is going to be your RB3. Maybe you start him week one over Cam Akers because you want to wait and see how that LA backfield shakes out, right? But there's a very similar back to him who I'd rather have. And his name is Tariq Cohen. And they're going at just about the same spot. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but like I said, I mean, I think this is where team construction comes into play, where if you just want sure. that safe start for the first couple of weeks, who's, you know, he's probably not going to get you 20 points, but he'll get you 10, 11 points and not kill you. Yeah, but I think, yeah. I, I mean, he he could. He could get you, you know. I, I, I'd view more like six to eight. Probably. I mean, we don't know what we don't. First of all, we don't know that Cam's going to start. We're all taking that for granted. I think he's going to absolutely. But we have no idea what um, what Stidham would do with a with a running back. I mean, we haven't seen him play, and yeah, just not seeing it for White. Okay, I'm beating that horse. Or how about how about not even Tariq Cohen? And this, ladies and gentlemen, is called a segue. How about a guy like Zach Moss? Yeah, I, I love Zach Moss. Um, I've taken him in a ton of best ball drafts. Uh, well, look, right there is another committee back, but he's got a ton of upside, right? Because maybe he does take over more work as the year goes on. Yep. Um, no, I'm, I'm definitely with you there. Um, but uh, let, let's move on to the guys we do like, and there's a lot of committee guys here who... Oh, are, <laughs> you cut out your third pack. The segue was to be was to lead into Devin Singletary. Oh yeah, no. I actually I I had Singletary on here, but I realized I don't hate him that much. Um, at ADP, I I don't like him, but he's more meh. <laughs> I think Zach Moss will surpass Devin Singletary in every metric of uh, fantasy relevance this year, very early in the season. I so the reason I don't hate Singletary at ADP is I do think he's going to retain a lot of that passing down work and even though Josh Allen doesn't love to check it down to his running backs um there are going to be some screens and um some checkdowns there available for Singletary and he's got enough wiggle in space when he catches the ball to to do a little bit of damage there. Can we do a quick check that player or what 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 do we call it? Yeah, yeah, that's Would fine. you rather? Okay. So Right now, Jonathan Taylor's going after Devin Singletary. No, I don't think so. What? Okay. All right, well, mm-hmm. it's definitely Jonathan Taylor because that's ridiculous. Okay. Then right after him is DeAndre Swift. I'm not sure what to do there. Uh, but that's messy. I don't really yeah. care about an answer to that one. How about Mark Ingram? Yeah, I guess I'm taking Ingram. Okay, Kareem Hunt. I, I, I'm not a Kareem Hunt guy. I, I think that really, I, I know a lot of hype has been on Kareem Hunt. You know, he caught a ton of passes late last year. He's very involved, um, you know, taking away from Nick Chubb. But I, 
we don't know that with Stefanski. And kind of like what you were saying with Stidham and James White and Cam Newton, I think there's more uncertainty in that Cleveland backfield than okay. credit is being given. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. David Montgomery. Oh, yeah, I would take Montgomery. All right, I, I guess you convinced me to hate Singletary again. <laughs> <laughs> we don't hate you. We don't hate you, Devin. We just don't like you where you're being drafted. Yeah, no, it's all it's all about the value and the ADP. We're, yep. not, we're not saying all right. these how players about, how are How about bad. guys we love? Yeah, I mean, and I, I love, uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to say it loud and proud. I love Tevin Coleman. Um <laughs> <laughs> RB40 right now is his ADP wow. 111th overall. Yeah. You can get this guy in round nine. Um, one of the biggest steals in most drafts, I think. I've got tons of exposure to Coleman, my best ball leagues. We know that the Niners' backfield is going to be a, a messy committee of sorts. So, I mean, Mostert is likely the lead back here. He's going to get touchdowns, but why would you draft him in round five when you can get Tevin Coleman four rounds later? I mean, he Coleman was the lead back for San Francisco in the playoffs last year. 22 carries against Minnesota compared to 12 for Mostert and 8 for Matt Breda. And then Coleman again got the first series against Green Bay before he injured his shoulder. And after that, Mostert dominated that game against that awful Packers run defense. But this is really a 1A, 1B situation with Jared McKinnon maybe mixing in as well. Um, so I, I would just rather take the cheaper option in Coleman. Completely and utterly agree. Um, I don't know offhand where McKinnon's going, but if he's going later than Coleman, I would probably jump in on McKinnon. Do not forget how much of a committee was used with Jeff Wilson Jr. going in there and snagging touchdowns. It felt like every single week. Yeah, I think you can get McKinnon like round 14, 15. Yeah, well, there you go. See? All right, first first guy on my uh, running back loves list is a guy who's cr going crazy low right now. Um, consensus, he's going running back 24, but on ESPN, he's going running back 27 in the mid-seventh round. And that's, of course, workhorse running back David Montgomery. Don't get me wrong. Chicago was crap last year. I understand this. I live in Chicago. I know how this works. You don't have to tell me a darn thing about the Chicago offense, okay? I understand everything about it. But he is a workhorse back on an offense that underperformed significantly. He catches passes well. He was worked into that game slowly last year. He will be expanding that part of his game this year. That was something that was a big, big pointer for him coming into the draft, is that he can catch the ball well. He will easily have 250 carries this year. He had 242 last year for those keeping count. And he had only 35 targets, like I said. This will increase. Taylor Gabriel is gone. Anthony Miller is there, healthy right now, but he seems to have shoulder issues now and again. Um, Tariq Cohen will get more work, but I think a lot of that's actually going to come into the slot as he uh, can expand his role as a as a pass catcher. Uh, I, I'm not calling David Montgomery a top 10, but to get a solid RB2 in the seventh round is just phenomenal to me. So you're... Um... You're not worried about Cordero Patterson working in uh, with the running backs, huh? <laughs> if okay, so if if Cordero Patterson comes in on a on a fourth and one again, I'm I'm never watching Bears football ever again. You you I you can timestamp that. That's it for as long as Matt Nagy's the coach, at least. <laughs> All right, we'll see. But uh, I'm definitely with you on Montgomery. We know that volume is king for running backs. Um, and it seems like his volume is not being factored in. Um, and uh, hopefully, I, I would say the Bears offense can't be as bad as it was last year. No way. 
And now they have two shots at a mediocre quarterback. So if one plays just absolutely terrible, they'll get that shot in the arm where Nick Foles comes or whoever comes in. You know, I don't know who's going to start the season, but where one of them comes in and the defense is perplexed for a little bit. And then David Montgomery can shake free for a few weeks. Yeah, I don't I, uh, What are your thoughts on this? I think Trubisky might actually be better for Montgomery since he offers that rushing threat. I think that's probably accurate, but I think the offense on the whole might be a slice better. I mean, we're we're comparing, you know, like moldy bread to like soggy waffles. <laughs> so, I mean, it, there's really not a ton of offensive upside with either of these quarterbacks. But yeah, I, I think Mitch has shown the, the bigger rushing upside for sure. And I think he's shown the bigger, like in the perfect world, like... Bear, Matt Nagy wants Mitch Trubisky to be the Chicago Bears quarterback. I mean, he did have a six six week uh, six touchdown week last year, right? Or was that two years ago already? Did he have nothing like that last year? All right. So yeah, I think it was two years ago. Um, oh God, no. That's, uh, <laughs> so then to use to use your analogy, then I would say that David Montgomery is a slice of provolone. Nothing too exciting, but uh, you know, a solid cheese that can go on either moldy bread or a soggy waffle. Certainly belongs earlier than the seventh round. Absolutely, I love provolone cheese. <laughs> All right, so, uh, yeah, draft provolone. Remember that. <laughs> Um, all right, another guy that uh, I like a lot here at his ADP, uh, Boston Scott, I feel like uh, mm -hmm. really isn't mm -hmm. being talked about much. Um, going as the RB51 right now, 151st overall. Miles Sanders is the clear back in Philadelphia. No one's arguing that, but like Matt Patricia, Doug Peterson has historically preferred a committee approach. And I, I get the argument that Sanders is by far the most talented back that Peterson has had in Philadelphia, but... I have a hard time believing that this is just automatically going to make Sanders a bell cow, uh, particularly when he struggled uh, in terms of running efficiency at times in the zone scheme. Uh, late last year, from weeks 14 to 16, Scott averaged 6.3 targets per game versus Sanders' 5.7. And Boston Scott had seven carries inside the red zone versus 10 for Sanders. So he's more than just a handcuff here. I would argue that Sand, or excuse me, Scott has a role similar to that of, as you said, uh, Kareem Hunt to Nick Chubb's lead role. And yet, you know, guys like Kareem Hunt are being drafted in the sixth round, whereas you can get Boston Scott in the 13th. You make a great point. I mean, you really do. This, this is an, and I don't know if it's because he had very little draft capital or, or people just, I think it's more so that people sort of forget what happens later in the season, which makes no sense because it's, it should be more recent in our minds. It's closer to the playoffs. The, you know, the, the attention span should be more focused into something more recent, but, but it is the things that happen earlier in the season that seem to stick more, isn't it? Well, I think, um, I think people do recall what happened in the late season. I mean, that's the main reason for the Tyler Higby hype, right? That's um, true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, there I go. My, my that. hypothesis would be that Scott is being discounted because Sanders got hurt in week 17 and Scott just blew up. So everyone's just associating that he only yeah, blew up that, because Sanders missed time. Um, but that's why I focused on those stats in the three weeks prior to that yeah. when both of them were healthy, even. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that sounds like he's probably even a, a guy that is is darn near must draft in a, in a 12-team 12, 12 league, no? 
Um, I don't know about must draft. I think it depends on the bench size and all that. But I, I mean, if I, you're I, considering that Hunt is going in the sixth, like, wow, you, you, that's that's a really great point there. I'm gonna take a take a lot closer look to Boston Scott going forward. I mean, he's like uh, McKinnon, right? He's a committee mm-hmm. back who has a lot of upside, who's basically free in the late rounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A uh, possible committee back who's going a little earlier than the late, late, late rounds is a guy in Tampa Bay, Ronald Jones. Uh, now, I'm not actually sure if I actually think he's undervalued. I think I'm just happy with where he's at. Right now he's going at running back 29, running back 30, depending where you look, in the eighth round. To get a starting running back in the eighth round, to me, I think is pretty good. Um he could be a workhorse back here in a Brady offense, which would obviously be a great thing. Um, Bruce Arians hasn't really shown that pen chance for rotating through running backs or using a bunch of running backs the way that uh, Bill Belichick does. So we really haven't seen a workhorse back in a Brady system. Um, what Arians also does have is a history of expressly not using rookie running backs. So a lot of people got excited about Keyshawn Vaughn, but very similar to David Johnson being drafted in the third round. David Johnson was not used <clears throat> very much at all by Bruce. Uh, sorry for that cough. Was not used very much at all by Bruce Arians when he was a rookie. In fact, he was restricted mostly to uh, kick return duties for most of the season. Um, the the offseason hype pieces have uh, Ronald Jones catching 300 balls a day on the jugs machine, um, having, uh, I think, lost a little weight, looking a little slimmer and quicker. I, I don't know that I'm necessarily buying into all the puff pieces, but just the history of Bruce Arians, he does seem to keep doing what we know he's going to do. All last year we said, oh, O.J. Howard, he's going to be tremendous. You know, Bruce Arians has never had a great tight end. Well, no, O.J. Howard did nothing. Bruce Arians did the same thing he's always done on a successful offense. So I'm sort of thinking he's going to do the same thing he's always done in a successful offense. And with Peyton Barber gone, Ronald Jones should be the only guy here. Yeah, I I think we're on different pages with uh, the Tampa Bay backfield. Um, We've had discussions off the air before. You know I like Keyshawn Vaughn a lot. Right, yeah. Um, That said, I I do think that this is a decent ADP for Jones if you can get him in the eighth round. Uh, The problem is I'm seeing his ADP starting to creep up, so I think this is a snapshot of... It's adjusting. I think it's slowly shifting where Jones, I've seen Jones go in the seventh, even in the sixth round in one under, in one of my drafts. Um, so oh, I think, well that would, that would put him more close to 22, 21. I, I, I couldn't put him that high. Right. And I think, so that's why I'm saying RB 30. I, I think that's fine, right? You can take a chance on that. You yeah. have, you sure. have the argument about the rookie running backs with Arians. Um, and, and then LaShawn McCoy too. No one, Excuse me. Um, no one should be too concerned um, about LaShawn McCoy being signed, right? He's a veteran depth guy. He's, I just don't see much left in the tank for him at this point. We um, saw him on the field with Kansas City, and yes, he put up some points, but we clearly saw that he is no longer LaShawn McCoy. Right. Let's be honest here. He was a he was a healthy scratch. They mentioned something yeah. about uh, you know, they gave some excuse, but he was a healthy scratch. Mm-hmm. Um. But at the end of the day, right, this is going to come down to who Brady wants in the backfield with him. 
Um, right. So there's uncertainty here, but if he does stay in the eighth round, I'm fine with Jones there. Sure. Okay. I'll agree with you. So um, that's going to do it for the running backs. But real quick, I just wanted to mention, um, Los, I know you and I have always talked about handcuffs. Mm-hmm. Um, elite guys like Alexander Madison and Tony Pollard. Um, these are guys going in, you know, the 12th, 13th round here. Um, yep. Huge RB1 upside if anything were to happen to Cook uh, or Ezekiel Elliott. And then I also want to bring up a couple of less heralded handcuffs, and I want to get your thoughts on those, Los. Um, two guys who are going basically for free in the late rounds that I quite like, Carlos Hyde and Benny Snell. So basically Rashad Penny, uh, Rashad Penny, excuse me, uh, isn't going to be ready for a while, right? Right. And mm-hmm. if anything were to happen to Chris Carson early in the season, then Carlos Hyde has RB1 upside. There's really nobody else in that backfield. Um, they drafted the rookie. Uh, his name's escaping me right now. Anthony McFarlane. Uh, oh, wait, no. I'm uh, sorry. Well, yes, you're <laughs> correct for the second part of that answer. Right. Uh, I want to say it starts with a D. I'm, I'm blanking right now. Uh, uh, was it Dizzy Gillespie? It's... Uh, it's not Devin Duvernay. That's the Ravens wide receiver, but it's something. I want to say it's something like that. DJ Dallas. Yes. Thank you. Yep. I, I knew it was like the two D's. Alliteration. <laughs> exactly. Um, right. I, I mean, I don't see him getting a ton of playing time if uh, Carson were to go down. So no, I don't think so. I think uh, and that's the exact upside. reason that I have Carlos Hyde stashed on my Dynasty roster still, um, because we don't exactly know what's going to happen in Seattle. I think Carlos Hyde has significant upside. Um, they rush the ball so many times in Seattle, uh, enough to get each of these backs 15 touches a week. That's that's reality. That's what we saw last year. Um, so I think Carlos Hyde has immediate flex appeal, flex value um, if uh, heading into this season. Yeah, I believe I traded high to you uh, to make you roster room to add Boston Scott off waivers. So I think that's a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, but yeah, and then uh, you mentioned Anthony McFarland, but I, I do think that Benny Snell is the guy. Um, if anything were to happen to James Conner, we mentioned how his ADP is slightly depressed uh, because of the health concerns. Um, mm-hmm. So th- it sounds like from the beat reports out of Pittsburgh that they do really like Snell, and for now at least he would be "quote unquote" the guy. I wouldn't be surprised if McFarland were to pass him. I, d- I don't think Snell necessarily needs to be drafted, but just you know, click the flag, click the star, keep your eye on him um, because Connor does have that injury history. But um, you know, Tomlin is one of those coaches who has shown that he's not afraid to start the young guys if uh, if they're going to play well. Yeah, so my, my thought for guys like Hyde and Snell being potentially worth a roster spot even, you know, right right out of the draft is just because you're playing the probabilities, right? We've seen Carson sure. and Connor have trouble staying healthy before, um, so you're kind of just hedging those bets whether or not you drafted, uh, whether or not you actually have Connor or Carson on your team. Sure. And, and if not, if things are looking good, then they become your, your drop guys for that first and second big time, uh, free agent bidding week. Right. So you're basically saying like, hopefully nothing happens. Uh, and then really, you know, if, if nothing happens in the first two weeks, feel free to drop them, right? Yep. Absolutely. 
Yep. Yep. The, your rosters. I mean, if if you're intending on winning leagues, your rosters should turn over. Half, at least half your roster should turn over through the season. I think. Yeah, and real quick, um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. We'll get sidetracked a little bit here, but uh, for a good cause. Um, what what are your thoughts on handcuffing this year? Because my, and I wouldn't call it a theory, but my thought process is that I actually don't want Benny Snell or James. If I have James Conner, I want Benny mm-hmm. Snell if I don't have James Conner. Um, and my thought process is that if anything COVID related were to happen, these running backs mm-hmm. are in close proximity with each other all the time. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like it would almost wipe out a whole unit and so you don't want to necessarily directly handcuff you just want to have a lot of upside players right i mean if they're being serious about the way that they're going to handle the coronavirus situation then yes everybody in a running back meeting everybody taking reps hitting the same bag is going to have the same exact exposure so if for example james connor is going to miss a week due to coronavirus then Benny Snell and Anthony McFarland will all be missing that week because of this. And they'll have to, I guess conceivably they'll have to sign somebody off the street. Yeah. So my, my thought would be like, you know, if I have James Conner, I want it's protection from injury only. Right. I want Boston Scott. If I, if I have James Conner, if he misses two weeks because he was in, you know, proximity to someone with COVID, then I can start Scott. Whereas if both Conner and McFarland, and Snell are all quarantined for a few weeks, then, you know, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah, I I think that's a good thought process. Um, I I think the name of the game this year is going to be owning a bunch of running backs on your team. Um, Injuries happen the most to running backs. I mean, the stats don't necessarily bear out that way, but just because of the importance of individual running backs, I think it is more significant to own more running backs on your team. Um, Depth. Depth is really going to be key here. Yeah, and I think that goes for every year, but especially 2020. Especially. Yep. All right, moving on to the wide receiver position then. Um, one guy that I'm not going to be having basically any shares of is Amari Cooper. He's being drafted as the wide receiver 11 right now. You're, you would have to take him basically in the third round. And there are a litany of concerns in relying on Cooper as your wide receiver one this year. He and Michael Gallup had about the same targets last year, despite Gallup missing two games. Uh, And now the Cowboys drafted CeeDee Lamb, who fell into their laps. Uh, Lamb is a much better wide receiver three option than, uh, excuse me, Randall Cobb. And then Amari Cooper, despite finishing very highly last year, already had six games where he scored fewer than 10 points in PPR. And yes, that's a fairly arbitrary cutoff, but you generally want to see... Uh, your players score double digits in fantasy every week. And I, I just see Cooper as a inconsistent wide receiver two option, not somebody to build your team around this year. Well, I always wonder why would you want to draft Dallas's wide receiver two as your wide receiver one? <laughs> that, that's fair. <laughs> I guess that's not very fair. He is the, he is, of course I, that's a tongue in cheek, but Michael Gallup was every bit as good as Amari Cooper last year, and everybody's completely fading and forgetting about him, whereas they really should just both be being brought backwards because, um, like you said, C.D. Lamb's going to fit that fit that Cobb structure, and if Cobb could could pull off 90 targets himself, well, I think C.D. Lamb, who's a bit better, is going to ask for a little bit more. 
Yeah, it really comes back to just the gap in their ADPs, right? Kind of like yep. with Mostert and Coleman, uh, if you think that it's going to be somewhat similar production, take the cheaper guy and gallop. Exactly, exactly. Uh, my first guy is, um, well, a guy I never thought I'd have on a list like this, but DeAndre Hopkins, um, wide receiver three, going in the first round, obviously. Now, please don't mistake me. DeAndre Hopkins is a phenomenal football talent. He is a stud wide receiver. I'm the first guy to go to bat for him always. Um, but, but we've seen great wide receivers falter with team switches, and there's a very limited offseason here for him to get acclimated into this Cliff Kingsbury system. Um, he is a candidate for target regression, given that this team runs four wide wideouts so frequently, and have shown that they're going to throw the ball to the open ba- uh, to the open wideout to the open man, spread it around the field. They're going to throw the ball to Kenyon Drake, which they slowed down doing with David Johnson. Um, plus, they're going to lean on Kenyon Drake and be rushing the ball more efficiently than they were last season. Plus, Kyler uh, Kyler needs to keep gr- uh, growing as a passer. Um, I, I love DeAndre Hopkins, just not as my first pick of the year. Uh, he's just a little too risky for that. Um, I'd actually slot him back at wide receiver seven overall in my rankings yeah i think i've got him as wide receiver nine or ten you know perfectly suitable for a a wide receiver one role but i just i don't know that the ceiling's there um because you're basically committing a late first early second round pick if you want hopkins um and that early in the draft it's all about minimizing risk so you mentioned that wide receivers who switch teams in the offseason um generally you know falter a little bit and I think especially this offseason with no OTAs, um, no, uh-huh. pre-season, no preseason games for them to really get on the same page with their new quarterback and offense, um, those are very valid concerns. And you actually kind of set it up perfectly for my next guy here, uh, Stefan Diggs, who's in a similar situation to Hopkins. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Diggs is going from, <laughs> well, he, he's being drafted as a wide receiver 26 right now, which isn't that high. Um, but he's going in uh, the fifth or sixth round at 59th overall. And really, he's going from one run-first offense to another. Minnesota was 29th in pass-versus-run ratio uh, with a 52% pass plays. And then Buffalo was barely ahead at 26 with just 55% pass play ratio. Um, you know, additionally, the QB difference is not great. Cousins was 10th in deep ball completion percentage last year. Uh, versus uh, Josh Allen at 33rd in deep ball completion percent. Um, John Brown's still there. He's going to siphon away some targets. Just all these factors. I don't love Diggs this year. Um, great talent, but especially with, again, the less season, or excuse me, the less off-season uh, training uh, time due to COVID, um, to establish that rapport with Allen and learn that new scheme is uh, just not something I want. Completely agree. And he's the sort of sort of wide receivers that's going to have those boom bust weeks. I think end of season, he's I think he'll probably end up about wide receiver 25, maybe 24 at the end of season ranks. But his volatility and low usage in this offense, which I think is going to come. I I completely agree. I, I, I don't know where I'd put him. I just don't want him on my team. Yeah. And that's why I think I said, you know, Wide receiver 26 is fine, but he's going in the fifth, sixth round. That's, that's yeah, just too no. early. No, not for me. 
All right, another uh, low-volume guy, but I do think he has much more upside, but not quite as much upside as his uh, draft value is giving him, is A.J. Brown, Tennessee Titans, right now going off as wide receiver 16 in the third round. Um, In a PPR league, which is what most of my leagues are, he is just far too low volume. Um, He was under 60 catches, I think, uh, 52 catches. Granted, it was his rookie season, so he he should have a little more than that this year. Uh, Yes, the offense did change drastically with Mariota out and Tannehill in, but Tennessee showed that when they're up in games and control the game without passing, they are going to do that at will. In those two postseason wins, Tannehill had only 14 and 15 pass attempts, and in those games, A.J. Brown went one catch for nine yards and one one catch for four yards. You cannot risk that sort of production out of uh, as your wide receiver too. Now in the flex, if you can get him after taking you know two more surefire wide receivers earlier, or or maybe snag somebody like Robert Woods a little later that you're certain that you're going to do. Sure, maybe do something like that. Uh, AJ Brown, I love in the flex, but I just cannot like him as a wide receiver too. I um I don't disagree that he's going too early, and I probably won't have many shares of Brown this year, but I, I do think it's interesting that you had Tannehill on your undervalued list and Brown on your overvalued. <laughs> but it's um, the rushing baseline. Right. I, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I will say, you know, just to play devil's advocate here, uh, Brown does have wide receiver one upside if indeed we see that scenario where the Titans need to pass more than expected, um, if their defense does regress. Um, but yeah, wide receiver 16 is you're relying on that guy as your wide receiver too. And I don't know that I'm ready to do that with AJ Brown. Yeah. I, if they pass more, I, I don't think it's all gonna, I think if they pass more, some of that, that, I mean, that volume has got to go to Janu. It's got to God willing, go to Corey Davis. Who knows if he's going (laughs) to, you know, still exist this, this time in three months from now, but like somebody else has to pick things up because AJ Brown is just going out there catching like two balls a game and just wrecking fools for 80 yard touchdowns where he's throwing five people to the turf. Unfortunately, that sort of stuff doesn't last that long. I love watching him. Oh, we'll, uh, we'll get to John Smith in just a little bit. Um, yep. but I, I know that our super producer, Dan is not going to like me because uh, I, I believe he has both Diggs and my next guy on the list on his oh. dynasty team in our league together. Uh, Debo Samuel, um, I don't love his ADP this year. Wide receiver 35 going 84th overall right now. Just, uh, you know, Samuel suffered that stress fracture in his foot in June. Um, he had that, uh, excuse me, he had that stress fracture injury with an anticipated 12 to 16 week recovery time. And the absolute early end of the spectrum of 12 weeks would put him right around week one. But that's far from guaranteed. And even if Samuel returns in time, there are two concerns. One, he's going to have missed all of training camp. And while he does have that year under his belt, uh, Ayuk and Kendrick Bourne have been playing well during camp. So it's uncertain if he's going to maintain that role. And then two, we've seen players who rush back from foot injuries to quickly re-injure that same foot. The upside is definitely there with Samuel in this Niners offense, but given the risks, I'd rather have guys like Marvin Jones, Brandon Cooks, Christian Kirk, uh, and a bunch of others going right around the same ADP or later. Completely agree. There's there's far too many good options at wide receiver to tie yourself to a known injury already this early in the season, or this late in the offseason, or whatever you want to call it. 
My next guy is a guy uh, going a little later, you know, d- uh, d- diving a little deeper. Jerry Judy, wide receiver, 44 in the 10th round. Um, I do think he is the best wide receiver in this year's draft class. Uh, but going to that Vic Fangio-led defensive-minded Broncos uh, with Drew Locke at the helm and already a connection with Drew Sutton, I just don't see the path to uh, start Judy in any of your lineups at the season start whatsoever. Um, every roster spot is valuable here and and you need definitely more playable upside in round 10 and they're going to be trying to expand the role for fan they're going to keep uh, the same value on sutton there uh, judy's he's great don't get me wrong but he's a slot receiver right now in an offense where we have not seen a quarterback overuse his slot receiver um i don't know what i'm truly expecting out of drew lock for for a career uh judy next year sure go for him all in but but this year, with the shortened offseason and change in preseason, I just can't touch him. Yeah, I, I agree on this one. Uh, it's hard to see Judy being a consistent producer in year one with, as you said, Sutton and Fant there. Uh, and then even they added other weapons too. KJ Hamler, um, Albert O, both dynamic receivers. Uh, it's just tough to find the target share for Judy um, as a rookie here. Yep. All right, so now we're going to talk about some guys who we think are great values at ADP. Uh, I touched on a couple just now when I was talking about Samuel, guys going about the same ADP as him. Um, One of those guys is Brandon Cooks, wide receiver 37 right now, uh, 93rd overall. Look, the biggest concern with Cooks is that another another concussion, excuse me, can't talk right now, is that another concussion could end his season or even his career. But we've also seen wide receivers with multiple concussions in a season come back and not miss a game. Uh, Most notably, Devontae Adams, who had two concussions in 2017 and has been fine since. Personally, I'd much rather gamble on Cooks in round nine over Will Fuller in round seven, who, in my opinion, is a much bigger risk due to his long history of recurring soft tissue and knee injuries over Cooks' concussions last year. Well, didn't Adams have concussion problems last year too, though? I don't believe so. I thought that's what I thought that's what his issue was last year. I know. I think it was a foot or something. Oh, was it a foot? Well, whatever. Foot ahead. You know, whatever it is. Um, I don't disagree with you there. Uh, I I like Brandon Cooks. Um, he's found a way to be a wide receiver one many years. Wide receiver two, if not a wide receiver one. Um, Hopkins is gone. They're going to need to throw the football somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you should be drafting Cooks as your wide receiver one, but wide receiver 37, I'll take that. Absolutely. Um, My first guy is a guy who I think is uh, just being completely besmirched and disrespected. Wide receiver 19 or 20, depending on where you look. Um, Fifth round pick here. Why does everybody hate Bob Woods? Uh, It's well documented what a great last two years he's had. He's the wide receiver one in an offense with huge passing volume. Not a great defense. Not a great rushing game right now, unfortunately. He stays on the field in all packages. He's seen 130 targets each of the last two years. Brandon Cooks, who we just talked about, is gone out of LA. Um, he's not the type of wide receiver who who um, 
lockdown corners are going to follow around. He gets 15 to 20 rush attempts on the season, and he was a wide receiver with only two receiving touchdowns last year. He's an ideal candidate for positive regression. He is the ideal wide receiver, two with wide receiver one upside, and he can be drafted as your wide receiver five. Well, I don't know about wide receiver five, but <laughs> I mean, if you start every round and draft a wide receiver, get all but one of them, he could be your wide receiver five. It um, could happen. I guess. But uh, look, I, I got nothing to say about Woods here. I, I love him. I've got him ranked as my wide receiver 13. So I'd be pretty comfortable even with him as my wide receiver one in round four. Um, yeah. If I started the draft, you know, running back heavy. Um, I was actually looking at, you know, we talked a little bit before the show and I, I was looking at one of my best ball leagues and I had started with Saquon Barkley and Austin Eckler and George Kittle in the first three rounds. Uh, and I grabbed uh-huh. Woods as my wide receiver one in round four. There you go. There you go. I mean, that's a championship right there. Yeah. So, uh, that's all I got on Woods. Love him. Um, my next guy, I think he's super undervalued as well, going off the boards at wide receiver 38 right now, uh, 100th overall. Uh, Christian Kirk, prior to suffering a high ankle sprain in week four last year, Kirk's first three games of production, uh, he was on pace for 107 catches and 1,093 yards. Of course, uh, DeAndre Hopkins coming to town is going to take up a big target share. But it still leaves plenty for Kirk as the number two option. Uh, He was already beginning to surpass Larry Fitzgerald last year. uh, And now he's going to draw less coverage with defenses focusing on stopping Hopkins. So uh, I I feel like if Hopkins is a natural fade, then Kirk is a natural value because I've got him ranked far higher. He's my wide receiver 27 in redraft. And I think he has even high end wide receiver two upside if this Cardinals offense can really click in year two. I don't think you're far off there. They do spread the football around, but uh, I certainly don't see Larry Fitzgerald getting any better this year. Yeah, I I mean, it would be tough. He's like 77 years old. (laughs) Oh, 10 years younger than uh, than Frank Gore. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. My next one is Calvin Ridley. Love this player. He's going off at wide receiver 18 right now. Um, Fifth, early fifth round. He has wide receiver two upside. I think he even has wide receiver two downside um, just as the floor in the, in his offense here. And if uh, anything were to happen to Julio Jones, he'd be a clear wide receiver one every single week. I think Um, where Julio sometimes disappears in the touchdown department. Calvin Ridley had 10 touchdowns as rookie and was on pace for nine last year until his injury snuck in. Austin Hooper is gone. So all of his targets have got to go somewhere. Devontae Freeman was a pass catching back is gone and his targets have to go somewhere. They're not going to all go to uh, Todd Gurley. They're not all going to go to Hayden Hurst, who still has to, you know, learn the system. We see that tight ends don't exactly plug in and uh, make immediate differences most of the time. Um, Calvin Ridley. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Shakalaka. Uh, I, I get where you're coming from with Ridley. I think I'd be fine with him as my wide receiver too, but I think wide receiver 18 is you know about right for him in the fifth round. Uh, I don't see him as a huge value. Uh, I guess I'm just kind of okay with him. Yeah, I guess I wanted to highlight him. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I have no strong feelings either way, I think. I think I, I've seen some touting Ridley as the the Chris Godwin of 2020, um, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know that I see that. 
I've seen I've seen a couple rankers have him in their top ten. I think that's a little nuts, but you know what can you do? Yeah, I would uh, I would definitely be out at that price. Yeah. Um, my next guy here. If you followed me on Twitter at all for the last year or so, or if you've heard me talk, or really if you've had any contact with me, I've probably brought up Nicole <laughs> Hardman, um, <laughs> currently being drafted as the wide receiver fifty one, one hundred thirty third overall. Uh, I just, uh, I don't get it. I think he's the biggest buy here. Um, I've been getting him in just about every best ball draft the last couple months. He is the one single player that I own in every single one of my dynasty leagues. Uh, look, Sammy Watkins already has a groin strain. Uh, but even before that news, Hardman was slated for more snaps and more targets this season as a sophomore. Watkins has really failed to consistently produce despite his contributions in the postseason last year. And even though Hardman may not truly break out in 2020, uh, it might wait until 2021 when Watkins' contract is up. But there's still enormous upside here. Uh, as your wide receiver three, wide receiver four, maybe even your wide receiver five, uh, Hardman may not be consistent this year barring a Watkins injury, but it's not hard to see the incredible upside that he has if he does end up as the number two wide receiver in that Chiefs offense with Mahomes and Reed. Now, my only worry about Michael Hardman, though, is is he too similar of a player to Tyreek Hill to, to mesh in if he takes Sammy Watkins' place? Uh, I don't see that concern. Um, I think Hill has really blossomed into a more complete receiver. He's, you know, the speed is what makes him a true threat, but he's good on slants. He's good on the curls. He can really run any route at this point in his career. Um, so really, I think, I mean, just look, it's more about about, being the wide receiver two on Kansas city than about me Hardman. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah, I think someone on Twitter recently asked me, you know, how would I feel if Sammy Watkins switched places with Michael Gallup? And I was like, I still wouldn't care that much about Watkins, and I would love Gallup even more. Um, yeah. You know, I want as many shares of this Chiefs offense as I, as I can get. Yeah, and I think I think Sammy Watkins is uh, has actually already pulled up this offseason with maybe a, a hamstring or something? Yeah, it was the groin strain, so I just, groin, yeah. you know, he hasn't played Did you a say that? Yeah, I mentioned that at the beginning of the show, which clearly you weren't listening. (laughs) I was. I was just. I just wanted to make sure I was dialed in, and I clearly wasn't. Yeah. So you know, part of that was everyone was saying, you know, Watkins. uh, They restructured him and brought him back, and right. Well, here he is already. Here he is restructured. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, This next ranking, I think, is just sinful. At wide receiver 27, going late in the seventh round. 27. Behind Landry. Behind Hilton. Behind Allen. Behind Diggs. He won 100 yards on 118. Or he won 1,000 yards on 118 targets. The defense is absolutely terrible. And he has an amazing schedule, which I already talked about. You've guessed it. We're talking about DJ Chark. Let's go back over that schedule. Indianapolis. Tennessee, Miami, Cincinnati, Texas, Detroit. If you draft DJ Chark, you will never forget the importance of what a bad defensive matchup is. And the bonuses of having a terrible defense for Jacksonville on their own. They are going to sling the ball all over the field. The coach is talking about putting Chark all over the field, using him in the slot, using him outside. 
he could legitimately be a wide receiver one for the entire first third of the season, each and every week. And you can get that at 27? No way. Get out of here. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on Chark. Um, I've got him ranked a few spots higher in the AP. It's not hard at all to imagine a wide receiver finish for him. Uh, given how awful that Jaguars defense is, uh, as you said, the constant negative game scripts, there's going to be a ton of passing volume here. Um, yeah, I, I love him. I mean, what? I don't know. I, I actually don't understand what's driving the ADP so low. Is it just that it's Jacksonville and people forget that they're a team? Uh, I think there's some, uh, what's the word for it, entrenched guys that, uh, you know, just name value guys that people would rather have over him. Um, so like, yeah, I guess so. like Keenan Allen's going above him, which I yeah, disagree with. Yeah, I know. Um, it's wrong. Both of the Seattle uh, wide receivers I would take Shark over. It's um, just wrong. Well, what do you think? So here's one that I, I would like to get both in every draft, but it just isn't possible, so I've been trying to diversify. Mm-hmm. But if you were in one draft, and let's say you have a wide receiver one already, you're good at running back, um, DJ Chark or Terry McLaurin? Oh, for me, it's Chark, and it's not close. Okay. Um, so I have Chark over McLaurin as well, but I have McLaurin right there. I, I like him a ton as well this year. See, I, I worry way too much about that quarterback situation and Ron Rivera. I, I don't I don't see Rivera slinging the ball around a billion times. I think he's going to get back to basics. With Adrian Peterson and Antonio Gibson? <laughs> um, yeah, actually. I, I okay. don't be surprised when Adrian Peterson churns out, you know, three 80-yard games in a row. <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually just took him late in a draft, and uh, I was like, why not, you know? Yeah. It's Adrian I mean, Peterson. It, he's going to play to open the season. Now, to open the season is all, and then he's going to not be happy, of course. Right, that goes um, because back to who roster be? construction, right? If, if right. depends on how you went early in the draft. Yeah, that does bring up a name, Antonio Gibson, which I have not f- made a fully formed opinion on, but I, I know he's going to be climbing up draft boards, and he should be. Um, that kid could be really be something special. I I'm just not on board. He's going in not like this year, round but... seven, round eight, and that's just too early for me. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. But just keep an eye on him. Yeah, he's he's interesting. Um, yeah, I just I'm not there. Yeah, but all right, let's uh, let's move on then to the tight end position. We'll close it out. Okay. Um, for me, a big fade. Uh, I've been talking about him. I wrote a piece on him way back in March. Uh, Darren Waller uh, is going off the board at tight end five, fifty sixth overall. Um, I love Waller's talent. Uh, I'm really happy for him overcoming the off-field issues, but his target share is due for a significant decline from 2019. Last year, Waller was third in tight end and t- excuse me, tight end target share behind only Kelsey and Ertz. And that was with the Raiders losing Antonio Brown right before the season. Uh, their starting wide receivers were Tyrell Williams and Hunter Renfro, and even both of those guys were hurt at times. Uh, now you're adding in Henry Ruggs, Ryan Edwards, and even though Jason Witten basically has one foot in the grave, he's going to see some snaps, some targets. All of this competition for targets in Vegas makes Waller a big, big fade for me at ADP. I still have him ranked pretty high, tight end eight. But, you know, three, four rounds later, I have him ranked, I think, 96th versus his current ADP of 56th. So a full 40 spots lower. 
you you could not have put that any better. Um, I have actually no problem with him at a tight end five rank. I get the questions and concerns about Las Vegas, but he, there's no way he should be drafted anywhere near the same round as guys like James Conner, Terry McLaurin, uh, DJ Chark, Jonathan Taylor. These guys are all going after him on ESPN right now, and that is complete and utter craziness. Yeah, uh, sounds like we're on we're on the same page here. Yep. Um, my first guy, um, he actually stole a lot of the good ones. Again, you jerk. Uh, <laughs> first guy I'm going to talk about is Noah Fant, tight end 11. Um, I think this is going to be a limited passing offense between Vic Fangio and Drew Locke. The addition of Jerry Judy, uh, I know I, I had him as a fade where I don't see him producing much. Um, similarly, I don't really see the upside in Fant, certainly not as tight end 11, certainly not. Now, that's the problem with the tight ends, right? You can say, oh, he's not tight end 11. He's not going to be my, my number 11 tight end. Well, the reality is he could pro he could realistically finish anywhere between tight end eight and tight end 30 and be within five points of e of each other by the end of the season. So sure, maybe he finishes a tight end 11, but there's nothing about his game that excites me for this season. There are some guys going in the tight end 20 range, the undrafted range that I would take over Fant without, without blinking. Um, yeah, I, I a hundred percent get your arguments. Uh, I think Fant is properly valued as a fringe tight end one, but to your point, uh, you know, it's basically the top few guys or just wait. Um, right. Very similar to quarterback, I think. Yep. Um, yes. These are positions that just are so devalued because, as you said, he might be tight end. He might not be a you know top twelve tight end, but he maybe is the tight end eighteen, and he scored just ten points fewer than the tight end thirteen. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I get what we're saying here. Um, again, I, I I have no issue with Fant as his, at his ADP, but I also don't see necessarily that elite upside. Right. Uh, the, the next guy is kind of in the same boat as Fant, I would say. Uh, Jared Cook being drafted as the tight end 10, going 100th overall. Uh, Cook, was, Cook was great last year, but he scored nine touchdowns on just 43 catches. Um, with the Saints having a high pass-to-rush ratio in the red zone in 2019, uh, that was likely because... I mean, we just found out a few weeks ago, or maybe even last week, that Kamara was playing through a, a knee, I think it was an MCL tear, in the back half mm -hmm. of the season. Uh, so it makes sense that the Saints were passing a lot in the red zone. But assuming Kamara's healthy now, uh, I could see New Orleans running a little bit more near the goal line in 2020. And also, while I'm not very high on Emmanuel Sanders as a standalone fantasy asset, his presence there is still going to detract from an already pretty low target share for Jared Cook. Cook is a fine tight end too, but I'm not reaching for him as a top 10 guy, especially not in the 8th round where his ADP is right now. As you said, there are just so many upside tight ends available later. Cook's a guy I actually have uh, higher in ADP. Um, or higher really? in tight end ranking, but I have none of these guys as high in ADP. So I actually do prefer Cook. I agree he's low volume and he's going to be low volume, but he's really reminiscent of what the tight end landscape has been 
until the past four years in in fantasy, back when like you really just had to pick your shot and guess which quarterback was going to throw a touchdown to a tight end that week. And betting on Drew Brees and Jared Cook to to link up is as good a bet as any. Um, I would move him above Hunter Henry, above Evan Ingram. Um, I'd have him probably slotted just at about tight end seven, but I would certainly not pay up for him. If he, if he fell to me, you know, in round 12, 13, 14, or eh, probably round 13 I, is where I would grab him. Oh, wow. So I'm not so going to get him as, as the long and short of What? You're pretty high on him. Uh, you've got him over Ingram and Henry. I, d- I do, but like I said, I'm not going to have him because I, I'm he's not going to last that long. Right. I, I get what you're saying. Yep. Yeah, I don't. I don't like Henry at all. I, I'm not going to talk about him, but but I don't. Yeah, and um, I probably should have. That was an oversight. <laughs> he's uh, he's another one of those guys where I'm I'm fine with where he is. I just probably won't have many shares of him. I mean, he's he's been injured every single year, and now he's got Tyrod Taylor. So I guess we just talked about him. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you just convinced me a little bit, like with Devin Singletary. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I thought I didn't hate him, but I really don't have him anywhere. So I guess right. I, I guess I do. So I guess I don't like him. I mean, I there's when we get to the guys we like, I think we're going to be, you know, in an echo chamber, basically, because there's just some stupid rankings going on right now. And I just don't get them. But uh, who else do you like or who else don't you like? Uh, that's all for me. I have uh, okay. on my list. So, is there any other fades that you have at ADP for tight ends? There is a fade, and I don't mean to break your heart, but Rob Gronkowski, who took a year off of football to go party, and is now on a new offense with Bruce Arians, who is known to not use the tight end, and at this point is probably the least conditioned of super freak of nature athlete and good blocker O.J. Howard and very reliable Cam Brate, who runs downfield and catches footballs with the best of the tight ends. Uh, I don't think Gronk is going to be the tight end one on his own team, let alone to start a startable fantasy option. So let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, because Gronk fitness, baby, huh? No, I just, look, I actually, I guess this is a good transition because I have Gronk on my undervalued list. Yep. Um, I understand all the concerns you just brought up, right? The conditioning, uh, he took a year off, but I, I think that's a double-edged sword, right? You're losing some of that football shape and that muscle mass, but at the same time, his biggest issue, you know, he had the freak injuries with the arm and, and the knee injuries, but those can happen to anybody. The recurring injuries were the back injuries, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that is all the weight that he has on. And so you're right. Maybe he might not be as good of a blocker now. Um, the reports are that he shed 15 to 20 pounds. Um, I just, I, I think that he's still the guy for Brady. And we've talked so much about, you know, wide receivers changing teams this offseason. Well, Evans and Godwin are, are on the same team still, but. Brady is the new quarterback, right? So it's almost like, you know, that new team situation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Gronk has been Brady's guy for a decade since he came out in 2010. So literally exactly a decade. Um, he's had a full year to recover, shed that weight, which could help make 2020 his most durable season. Um, and there are reports that he could be, you know, limited to high leverage situations 
But that's exactly what you want from the tight end, right? You're guessing which quarterbacks are going to throw touchdowns to their tight end that week. Yep. So while the target share overall might be down with Evans and Godwin there taking away a lot of targets and maybe even OJ Howard and Cameron Brait in those multiple tight end sets, but when the chips are down, uh, you know, who's Brady going to throw that goal line fade to? Uh, and I think the answer to that is still going to be Gronk, uh, barring, you know, some best friendship all of a sudden with Evans and Godwin. And I, I just think that, he, look, his current ADP is tight end eight, uh, 81st overall. And I just think that if you're going to take anyone outside of Kittle or Kelsey or maybe, you know, Andrews or Ertz, it's got to be Gronk for that touchdown upside because double digit touchdowns are well within his range of outcomes. I, I, I just don't see it. I, I see I see middling single-digit touchdowns. That's all I see. I, I don't see him any different than Jared Cook, like a, a, a lower-volume Jared Cook. Ooh, oh, oh. Yeah. I, don't, I want I, to I erase think, that sentence I think you've got your brain. blinders on. This is, not, this is not the same Rob Gronkowski. This is a battered man. This is a man who quit on football, a man who didn't want to do it anymore, who went home to mama. Okay, um, how about this? Over or under six and a half touchdowns for Gronk this year? You want to make that bet? Yeah, under. Okay, let's let's do it. Yep. Yep, we've got it. All right. We shall see. You'd have to take him over David Montgomery. I don't think so. Raheem Mostert? Yeah. Over Montgomery? So ESPN... Maybe people just at ESPN love him a little more. He's going tight end six in ESPN. Okay, so um, the rankings that I was looking at at on Fantasy Pro, so someone like David Montgomery is going 60th overall, and then Gronk is at 80th, so still a full round and a half, two rounds later. Yeah, ESPN has him at 58. Okay, that's yeah. where I mean, that's, that's where the real the people are. That's where. Our peers are, are, are the, that's where the drafters are taking him, which is absolutely nuts. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy for me. I wouldn't reach for him in like that fifth, sixth round. Um, that's way too early, but you know, it bears mentioning that, uh, you know, make sure you look at the ADP on whatever site you're using, right? Cause a lot of your yep. league mates are going to be going off of that. So that's where some of the values and some of the overvalued guys are going to change. Not to keep beating a dead Gronk or a dead horse, but um, you think Bruce Arians is this is the year he changes his offense to to feature a tight end? I think Brady's going to throw to Gronk regardless of who who the head coach or the offensive coordinator is. The offensive coordinator and a head coach would have to choose to put a beaten, battered man who's fifty pounds under football weight out there instead of prime shape of his life athlete oj howard who granted has not done much but he's still making the conscious decision to put him out there over oj howard that's fine but i mean you think you think oj howard's gonna be there past week three if he if he makes a drop in week two or something i do because he's better than rob gronkowski is now Ooh, i just I'm not... he's a better blocker he's a better athlete at this point like I, don't get me wrong gronk he's a hall of fame tight end first ballot best tight end ever to lace him up but but that's not him all right and now's maybe and and now's the time to let go you can do it mom 
you maybe, can do uh, it. Maybe I do have the blinders on, but uh, I'll go down with the ship. That's fine. <laughs> All right. I, I hope you've got a snorkel. All right. Well, we've got our first bet for the year, at least. There we go. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, I guess we. I should talk about somebody I like. Yeah, probably. All right. Just a few brief words. Um, I do like Hayden Hurst. He's going as tight end 13. Uh, I think that's a tad undervalued. I would have him over Hunter Henry. Um, it really just depends on where he falls in drafts. If anything, you should be happy he's, he's going off at 13 because he might ball to you very late in drafts um he's going to fill in that austin hooper role which he's not going to fit it perfectly um they're, they're not the exact same size and shape hurst obviously does not know the system as well as austin hooper did having been in it well actually that was one of the problems for austin hooper and matt Wright, and they change systems every two years um but Hurst is a very good athlete. The Ravens did not let him go because he is not a good tight end. They let him go because Mark Andrews, you know, is is just better. Um, and uh, Hayden Hurst was actually drafted around earlier than Mark Andrews in that same draft. But when you strike gold on Mark Andrews, you, you certainly can't afford to to end up having to pay uh, two very good tight ends on the same team. So I think that he was more of a cap casualty than anything else. And I, I think he'll fit in very well in Atlanta. Yeah, I got. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to add on Hurst. I think his current ADP is about right. Uh, I've got a few shares of him. I'm pretty excited to see what happens. And the upside is definitely there, and that's what you want in these later round tight ends. So he's definitely one of, uh, I would say, four or five targets if I, if I avoid you know, that top tier and then if Gronk gets taken by some crazy person even before me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so another guy uh, in the same range as Hurst going a little bit later. Uh, we, we touched on him uh, earlier. It seems like we talked about a lot of Titans today. Jonu Smith, tight end 19, uh, going 152nd overall right now. So we, we talked a little bit about Corey Davis. He's really disappointed thus far in his career. And uh, the news was he actually just came off the pup list today um, from off-season toe surgery. So certainly doesn't sound great for him. Uh, there's really every reason to believe that Jonu Smith is going to be the number two guy right now behind A.J. Brown in that Titans offense. Uh, he actually had the third most missed tackles forced among tight ends last year behind only Kittle and Kelsey. Um, Tennessee uses a ton of multiple tight end sets, so Jonu's going to see plenty of snaps here. Uh, Los with Tannehill being on your value list and Brown on your fade list, that means you probably like Jonu, right? I, I think you're about uh, I think you're about right with that. Um, there's a coach his name's Bill Belichick, and last year he named Janu Smith, I believe, as the most athletic tight end in the NFL right now. I think you can check me if I'm wrong on that one, right? I actually did not hear that, but I'll take your word for it. Oh yeah, uh, he said that heading into that uh, into that divisional round. Um, we know what happened the there. Patriot. Yep. Um, I don't necessarily know that. I think that's the case, but yeah, it's it's asinine that Johnny Smith's going off at tight end 19, and this is what I was alluding to. Um, your next one that you're going to talk about um, was, basically, you stole the good late round uh, tight ends from me, so uh, so you're <laughs> going to be the winner of, uh, of this segment of the show. Um, Johnny Smith should be going 12 at worst. This is his year. Yeah, I, I, lo- I like it. Yep. You know, my next one is is I was just trying to pick a name, so I'm just going to let you talk about Blake Jarwin. 
All right, I'm, I I have no issue with that. I love talking about Blake Jarwin, so uh, you know you don't have to twist my arm. Yep. Um, Jarwin's going off the board at tight end twenty one, one hundred sixty seventh overall. He was actually a pretty trendy sleeper uh, in early in the off season, uh, but then when Dallas took CD Lamb in that draft, um, a lot of fantasy players just hopped off that Jarwin train. Uh, but that's exactly why he's undervalued again because. I'm sure that had they not taken Lamb, Jarwin would be going as a top 10 uh, tight end. Last year, uh, Randall Cobb and Jason Witten combined for 166 targets, and Jarwin already got 41 targets of his own. So unless you think that Lamb is going to see a massive target share, like 150 targets as a rookie, uh, it's easy to see even you know, 20, 30 targets from Witten and Cobb going Jarwin's way, even with all three wide receivers there. Um, you know, expanding his role very slightly to 60 or 70 targets. Uh, that's a pretty big target share for him. The tight ends, or excuse me, the touchdowns might be inconsistent here with so much talent at wide receiver and Elliott there taking rushing touchdowns. But, you know, we already saw that Jarwin was much more efficient than Witten last year, uh, both in, you know, yards per catch as well as yards after the catch. And I think he is the best late round tight end target who has tight end one upside. This is your Mark Andrews of 2020, Blake Jarwin, Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I love him. Like I said, you know. I, I, don't, I don't have. I don't have any mother. I don't have anything <laughs> else to add. George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Blake Jarwin. All right, sounds good. Uh, looks like we'll be fighting for tight ends unless I happen to grab Gronk. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I'll let you do it. I'll let you do that. All right, so I think that's all we've got for you today. Um, I mean, hopefully the season will go off without uh, any major issues, and uh, I'm just pumped. I'm, I'm pumped to start drafting. I'm pumped to just talk football. It's exciting. It's This was fun. This was good. It's good to, good to get back in the swing of things. A few bumps and bruises along the way few tongue twisters along the way but but we're but we're gonna get there and we're gonna have fun doing it yep absolutely uh tell uh tell everybody where they can find us los well you can find us on itunes spotify google play stitcher and soundcloud hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our upcoming podcast episodes they'll be automatically downloaded and delivered straight to you yeah i think um Dan and Los, uh, I think we have time for one more preseason show. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Weeks. It's what August, August the seventeenth of August. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how time flies. I, I didn't realize that it's you know basically a month or even less till the it season. It flies starts. and stands still all at the same time, right? Yeah. Well, from I think from March through May, it felt like four years, and then from yeah. you know from July to August, it feels like you know four days. Yeah, that's 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 the same feeling I have. Yep. So get uh, get excited for football. Um, hope everyone is staying healthy and safe out there, taking those precautions, wearing the masks, social dis- distancing. Excuse me, all that, so we can have this beautiful NFL season. And as always, it's a fantasy world, and we're all just addicts in it. Thanks, addicts. Stay safe. Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. 
Northern Tool and Equipment isn't just a store, it's a problem solver's paradise. Fully stocked with the right professional grade tools and fully staffed with experts who have the right answers. Problem solved. Shop Northern Tool and Equipment this week for our Father's Day sale. Get the perfect gift and save up to 50% on hand, power and air tools, floor jacks, shop equipment, and more. Shop in store or at northerntool.com.